This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 1st, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Marvin Horn spent a decade fighting California's raisin cartel in court. Last week, the Supreme Court ruled 8-1 to that big raisins can't simply seize a farmer's crops, mumble a few words about future benefits, and then call it compensation. Trevor Burris, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, discusses the court's decision. Marvin Horn is a raisin grower and handler in California who he does both the things. He grows grapes and then dries them in, in the sun and then packages them as raisins and also buys grapes from other people and then packages those as raisins. Well, there's an entity called the Raisin Administrative Committee. I'm not making this up. It is a New Deal era entity based off of a law called the Agricultural Marketing Agreement Act of 1937, which was really just part of Franklin Roosevelt's obsession with cartelizing the whole economy as a way of fixing the problems of the Great Depression. And many of those were struck down by the Supreme Court, but we still live in an agricultural system that is largely a product of the New Deal and is based on these cartels. So the Raisin Administrative Committee is a group of 47 people. 46 of them are growers and handlers, one member of the public. 23 of the 46 are either directly working for SunMade raisins, which is the largest raisin producer, uh, or indirectly working for them. And they decide every year, they have the ability authorized by the government to decide how many raisins should be on the market in order to keep the price artificially high. The other part of this story is a pretty typical story of what when farmers in particular try to go to government and get things from them, which is after World War II, the price of raisins have been quite high because the government have been buying a lot of raisins to send overseas. And then as usually is the case, the price goes down. And what the farmers tend to think is that the old high price was the real price, was the better price. And therefore, the government needs to do something to make sure we can keep those high prices. So they give this Raisin Administrative Committee the power pursuant to this New Deal law, and now they can take raisins. So it's a price support program by committee. And uh, it allows a group of people to decide what raisins are or are not going to be put onto the market any given year. How did this case get to the U.S. Supreme Court? If, if I recall correctly, Mr. Horn lost repeatedly on his way to the Supreme Court. And now this is his second appearance here. Yes, it's his second appearance at the Supreme Court. And it, it's something interesting because he did lose uh, at, in, this is a 12-year case. The first, the 2002-2003, the Raisin Administrative Committee said, we want 47% of your raisins. And then they gave him nothing in return. Sometimes they'll give you some amount of compensation, but they're under no obligation to give you any compensation whatsoever. He said no. And then they said, the next year they said 30% of the raisins. And he said, no, they actually hired private investigators to stake out his farm to see if he was selling raisins illegitimately. This sort of very surreal type of situation. He said, no, it is a really interesting act of civil disobedience, which he deserves to be commended for, because he, he decided to go through the courts and say, I'm not going to stand up against this cartel. Think of it as a raisin OPEC or something like that, that it has, uses the government to enforce its cartelization scheme. And that usually doesn't happen which is one of the reasons why, A, these agricultural programs exist in the shadows because people – and that's where they want to exist because people don't usually stand up to them because they usually benefit the producers and not the – and they hurt consumers. But he stood up to it, brought this case. He lost a district court. He lost at the Ninth Circuit. They said he didn't have standing. He went to the Supreme Court two terms ago. They he And they held for him 9-0 that he did have standing to say it was a taking, which was that we're taking his raisins and not giving him compensation. They sent it back to the Ninth Circuit. 
Circuit. The Ninth Circuit looked at it as a taking. They said it wasn't a taking because they made a distinction, a very terrifying distinction between real property, which is land, and personal property like raisins. They went back to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court took the case very quickly because the Ninth Circuit opinion was so bad. And then they wrote it, voted 8-1 now this time in favor of him. So he lost all these other justices b- below. But over the course of his entire fight over uh, this law, he's got 16 votes, in fa- 17 votes in favor, 17 to 1 uh, in favor of his cause. What was the Ninth Circuit reasoning uh, that said that drew this really weird threading of the needle that said, well, had this been a piece of land, we would rule differently. It's a, it's a hard one to even sort of sum up because they were try, kind of looking at it as what's called a regulatory taking, or that be, there was, they looked at some case law that implied that there are different things for personal property and saying that you're restricting certain parts of its use, but you're getting benefits in, in return for it. Namely, the Raisin Administrative Committee creates things like the California Raisins and promotes raisins and runs raisins.org. You can go to it right now and get raisin recipes. So they're saying you get this thing in return. It's not the same as a piece of land where you have use restrictions on your land. So they read the, they read this old case law. They misread it horribly. And the Supreme Court told them, yes, you misread it horribly, except for Justice Sotomayor, who kind of agreed with the Ninth Circuit. She was the one person who did not vote for Mr. Horn. So we have this committee to thank for the California Raisins and revitalizing, frankly, the uh, work of Marvin Gaye, a, a song that we probably n- wouldn't have heard a lot of in the 80s were it not for uh, the California Raisins. Exactly. And yes. Ants on a Log, which is a delicious snack for kids. But other than that, this is just an, am- it's an amazing decision, but... The Ninth Circuit is is that sort of typical? Like that seems to be. Is that the most overturned circuit? It is. It, it has been consistently for a while. Uh, it, it, the decision is really amazing for a couple of reasons. Um, the Raisin Administrative Committee. So the, the really interesting thing about U.S. agricultural policy is is it exists in the shadows. And there's a sort of famous story. Uh, uh, an agricultural economist told me about how he was once at a conference about peanut regulations and the, all the prolix element of peanut regulations. And he was saying talking. About how complex this is, and a guy stands up to ask a question, and he says, "There are only two people in the country who knows how peanut regulation works, and my job is to keep it that way." And that's exactly how the raisin thing works. The, ra- the raisins, they've, the raisin administrative committee, has existed in the shadows. There's also a spearmint oil committee. There's about seven of these, but this took a long time to figure out. One of the really interesting things about this case is they kept asking the agricultural department what other committees have the same powers as the raisin administrative committee, and they couldn't exactly say because they. They didn't. The law is so complex; they couldn't exactly say. We basically, he said before the court, he said it's either it's either eight or ten, which is really weird because he just said I don't know the law. It's either eight or ten. Yeah, but we figured out now that it's spearmint oil, it's California almonds, it's tart cherries in seven states. The spearmint oil is only in five western states, and all these things have the ability to take this. So these are implicated in this decision. Some of the other agricultural committees, of which there's a ton more of them that do marketing and things like this, they don't have the power to take those things directly. But those seven are implicated in this decision. And again, it's just a good thing to try and erode our agricultural policy, because if there's one thing that demonstrates that if you can just make the most absurd thing 70 years ago and create a constellation of people around it who depend upon it, it's going to be almost impossible to take away. The government's argument, as you noted before we started recording, was particularly galling uh, in terms of beyond economic liberty. Just the idea that you can 
just go out and do something and that your uh, your range of acceptable activities can be prescribed because they've got the power. Yes, exactly. They At one point, they argued, well, this isn't a taking because he doesn't have to sell raisins. And by selling raisins, he's submitting himself to the Raisin Administrative Committee. He can take his grapes and he can make wine out of them or he can make juice out of them. And the Chief Justice made very short work of that. He said, let them sell wine uh, works about as well as, as other similar phrases have worked in the past. And this is just not acceptable. You can't, you can't condition your right to grow raisins or condition your right to use your property on submitting to the government's arbitrary will or the arbitrary will of these 47 people in Fresno, California. You can't do that. There's a case, older case where they tried to make a similar argument that said he didn't have to be a landlord. And he said, he said you can't do that. You know, he has the ability to be a landlord. You can't put these conditions on these people and their use of their property. It was a very short order. It was a pretty, it's a pretty short opinion. It's 15 pages. And most of it, eight justices agree with, at least the really important parts. Eight to one opinion, uh, Justice Sotomayor in the uh, minority. What does this case open up in terms of the ability of people to challenge arbitrary government takings of things that aren't land. Well, it opens up some good regulatory aspects that it at least overturns the Ninth Circuit decision. So that really bad law was applying in, in a huge amount of, of states. It overturns that decision, opens up these other challenges to agricultural laws. There are some other really dangerous things that could have come out of this. One of the arguments the government made was that is a, a kind of compensation that you can get from these kind of takings just a, a promise that you may get something in the future. Is that good enough for compensation? So that the, because the, this committee provided marketing and, and other benefits. Yeah, they, they kind of say, we, you, we may or may not give you something in the future, and we may or may not give you benefits, but that's enough for compensation. The Supreme Court said, no, 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 that's not enough for compensation. The government can't take your Renoir, put it in the museum, and say, we might let you visit it in five years, and then say that's compensation. And in a very similar say, so other kind of arguments that could come in all types of takings cases, that's a really important part of this case. But in generally, the challenging some of these agricultural regimes and making sure that we can use the takings clause when it comes to regulatory, the administrative state aspects is a good decision going forward. And it's 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 sort of perverse that uh, a farmer or a producer of raisins would find himself in a position of opposing a group whose purpose is to keep the price of that product high. And as you note, that was uh, a particularly striking bit of civil disobedience. Yeah. Next, we got to call on the people from the Spearmint Cartel and from the California Almonds Cartel and see if anyone is else willing to stand up against this, because usually people in cartels are not willing to stand up against it. So again, we must, con con we must absolutely give plaudits to Marvin Horn and his wife, Laura, to say they did a good job. They were vindicated. They were freed just automatically. The very last word of the decisions that the chief says, this case has gone on long enough. You don't have to pay the fines, and you have to pay the penalties, and that's about $700,000, and they, I guarantee they went home happy. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.